Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, we're getting in the win column with Win Brands Group Director of Retention, Sophie Baer. Win is an omni-channel retail platform that specializes in buying and building category-defining brands like Kalo, Homesick Candles, Gravity Weighted Blankets, and Love Your Melon Headwear. Sophie oversees CRM management, email marketing, SMS marketing, and lead generation. And today, we dove into email and SMS automations and why more retention communications need to be automated, but still personalized why Sophie's rolling out quizzes to all win brands and what software she's using, building purchase history into all automations and why every brand needs a recapture sequence, and ultimately why SMS is no longer optional for D2C brands. You'll learn all about Sophie and why she's an automation overlord and what you can do to drive more of those second purchases than ever this year. I hope you enjoy it. On with the show. is the future of retention marketing. Everyone's on their phone. It's an extremely personal channel. You have the opportunity to not just be a brand, but to be a brand that's in conversation with a customer right next to where they may be texting their sister or their mom. You are in a very personal space. We definitely treat that with respect, but we are prioritizing SMS as a key channel in 2022 and looking at how can we give customers an exclusive experience. More than that, just making it feel personal and fun and not like always a sales channel. It's an opportunity to have a conversation with your customers and not push them products. And that is ultimately going to build your brand loyalty and engagement. Hey, retailers, ever feel like your shopper experience feels just like everyone else's? Here's an idea. Put your shopper first with the only personalization platform that is purpose-built for retailers. Bluecore combines retail data and predictive intelligence to match online shoppers with the products they will buy next across channels like email, site, paid media, social, and SMS. Automate and scale your personalized content offers and recommendations for each shopper in a one-on-one, individualized experience. Visit bluecore.com to see why brands like Noble, Express, and Bliss have gone shopper first to drive repeat purchases and increase customer lifetime value. Hey Sophie, welcome to the D2C podcast. Can you start with a quick overview of Win Brands Group and how it's all set up? Absolutely. So Win is an omni-channel retail platform that is in the business of buying and acquiring brands and we are founded on the principle that no one business founder can be an expert in all things. So we bring a team of experts to the table, which is our shared services group that can help scale and grow businesses across all channels. And I am part of that shared services team as the retention director. Cool. And what brands are currently with Win Brands Group? So we have Homesick, which is a fragrance business, but we really like to say they're in the business of selling memories. They are dedicated to producing fragrances that are really authentic to memories and places uh, to make them accessible and really nostalgic to our customers. We also have uh, Kalo, which started out as a silicone wedding ring business just with the concept of how can we stay active, but also keep those that we love close. And from there, we've expanded our range of active products to dog accessories and ring dishes. Still with that founding principle of, you know, what can we do to remove barriers to your active lifestyle? I love that as a unifying principle, because it's not in a very, very strict category. You're not just in pet or just in homewares. You're sort of across the spectrum, which is pretty cool. 
Yeah, we we try and not limit ourselves just to a ring business and see what other things we can expand into. And dogs definitely was a success for us. We have like now track tags and other pet accessories. So we're excited to sort of see where things go this year with some other interesting products we have coming. Very cool. And then also love your melon. Yes. So they're our most recent acquisition. We acquired them earlier this year and they actually started on the principle of donating a hat to every child battling childhood cancer. And they met that goal. And from there, now their goal is to just donate 50% of net profits to research for childhood cancer and like supporting families. So still true to that core mission, but have expanded that as well. And they aren't just selling beanies. They have other types of hats and accessories. So if, you know, in the future, if Wynn is looking to acquire uh, new brands and you are involved some way in diligence, maybe you want, they, they want you to go in and look at the retention program of a potential business. What are the things that you're looking for from a, a brand's retention program before you get your hands on it? Yeah. So Definitely. I'm always involved in diligence and I have my own personal audit that I complete. And generally what I'm looking for is first, I always look at their automations. I don't think enough people rely on automation. So I'm always curious to see um, what they have live. That shows me if they have a lot live that's robust, they have a pretty sophisticated program. You can almost judge it from that alone. And then from there, obviously looking at contact size, engagement, um, recurring revenue versus new buyers. I think just the standard and then just more of the tactical stuff. Like are things set up properly? If I sign up, do I get put onto a list? Do I get put into a welcome series? That more tactical level. Are there any red flags in that process that when you see you're like, whoa, maybe not a good idea? Um, I haven't come across them yet, I would say. The only thing I could think where I would definitely say this is not an ideal brand for us to acquire is if I feel they have risky acquisition tactics and potentially aren't following best practices there or compliance. It just shows me that potentially they're trying to do things that aren't ideal for the brand long term. And also, essentially, most of our customers aren't high value customers, but most things can be you know updated or resolved, even if it is something that's broken, that's almost on the flip side, something that I can improve right away and we can see value in. It's an interesting thing. I remember when we were chatting previously, I was saying, oh, you've got four brands. That must be a lot of work. And you brought up the fact that like in agencies that you've worked in previously, you know, you're working in, on a retention team, an email marketing team, you're going to be working with way more brands than that. Uh, so I'm sure it definitely has its benefits. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. But before I speak to it, I want to make sure I give gravity its moment. I didn't go into like the gravity spiel. So I'd be remiss if I don't explain gravity, which is near and dear to my heart. They, um, they're the founder of the original weighted blanket and are founded on the principle of like, how can we make people's rest better and improve their rest and recovery? And we've since expanded to accessories like sleep masks. And we just launched gravity basics to be a more accessible price point to people interested in weighted blankets. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. To answer the question on the agency side, um, I would say you could work with as few as four brands. It obviously depends on the workload, but four to six, it just is something I'm used to juggling in terms of working across brands, but there is absolute benefit to having that shared learning and experience because you can launch something on one brand, see how it goes, improve it, and then scale it across the brands. You don't have to 
test everything across. You can almost be testing four different strategies or four different new tools and see how it goes. And then, you know, over the course of a quarter, roll that out to the rest of the brands. I can see being hugely synergistic, uh, but just in terms of the whole shared services team, like how big of a team is Win at this point to managing these four brands across all fronts? Win as a total, I would say is pushing a hundred employees. Don't quote me on that, but we are pretty large now that we've acquired Love Your Melon. Um, I would say though, in terms of like shared services for e-com, we are predominantly a team of one director across channels and potentially one or two supporting members. I think we're, we are pretty lean, but the brands are also very supportive. They have marketing managers, merchandising directors. So when we get a campaign or a product, it's given to us in a way that's like, this is the goal. This is our ideas for content. So we can do what we do best and just implement the true strategy. We don't have to be as involved in all the other steps leading up to the process. And you mentioned the directors that had each sort of section. Can you talk, what are those sections as far as you guys conceive them? So within e-com, we have retention, acquisition, which is all of our paid efforts, social, and then e-commerce. So that's the website. I work obviously very closely with them and the paid or acquisition director. And then outside of that, we also have directors um, within the Amazon space and wholesale. So we, we sort of like to diversify across the board and um, you know, have experts in each of those categories. Does customer experience fit in the website uh, section you mentioned? Yes, that would fall under website and a, a little bit housed by brands as well, since we do have some merchandising people, people focused on site at the brand level. So I would say it does depend on the need of the brand. We don't have exactly the same brand teams across the board, but it is shared with e-com and each individual brand team. Can you give me uh, an example of a learning that you generated on one brand that you sort of seamlessly applied to another for great benefit? Uh, the most recent example I have is we launched a candle quiz back in January for Homesick. And that was the first time we'd done any type of product quiz. They're obviously really trendy right now and generally beneficial to both the customer and the brand because you're acquiring customer information. You can learn more about why they're buying and what they're interested in. And then ideally actually give them a product they're looking for that they want to convert on. So we launched that in January and then very quickly rolled out product quiz to gravity. And we're even like in updates to homesick and rolling out across the board. So in the span of four months, we'll have gone from not having any quizzes to uh, MVP, let's just get it out there, and updates for quizzes across all brands. Amazing. And ju just on the quizzes for a minute, these are, are really product selectors. You're, you're asking questions um, that, that will, will basically put people into different sort of product categories. Is that right? That's correct. Simple. And I, the like you name your candles so evocatively, I imagine that's an interesting, entertaining quiz. Yes, we focus a little bit more on the gifting reason. Most of our customers at Homesick do tend to gift. So instead of inundating them with the variety of candles, we tend to focus more on why are you gifting and who are you gifting to, and then like build out that memory experience of, of the candles that would fit that customer the best. That's really interesting for Homesick, that the marketing is largely aimed at gifting rather than for personal consumption. Is it just for the quiz or is that sort of across the board with Homesick? Um, I think Homesick is definitely a, a gifting product. We do have a fair amount of customers that 
obviously self-buy, but predominantly, especially our first-time buyers, they are looking to purchase a gift. And that's why we added the personalization. Like you can UV print a message, a lot of those extra touches, adding a gift note, tissue paper, those were all added because a lot of our first-time buyers are buying a gift for someone. And obviously that reason shifts throughout like holiday time, but usually it's like for a holiday, for a special moment in their life. Um, And that also helps us inform building new candles within a collection. If we have a lot of people gifting for weddings, we can know, okay, we need to build onto this collection. So as retention director, you know, your job is often getting people to make that second purchase. You obviously want uh, LTV, a subscription if you can get it, but getting that second purchase is often so critical. What in 2022 has been your biggest lever for producing that second purchase and beyond? I would say we're really getting a lot more intelligent with our flows. So we have post-purchase data now. We launched a point of sale quizzes last year to know, are you a gifter? Are you a self-buyer? Why? So across the board, we have expanded what would have been maybe a single post-purchase upsell flow to five static touches, now has 10 to 12. Talking to that customer that bought a specific candle or bought a specific blanket so that it's very clear we know what you bought the first time. And from that and from the information we have about what customers buy next, we're delivering that product to them. I'm trying to visualize this across four brands. How many sort of like flow options are are in this? We're talking hundreds and hundreds. Yes, it's a lot. And then if you add an SMS on top of email, it gets quite complex, obviously, but definitely found that to be the most successful because you're speaking to the actual customer, not mass audience. Yeah, I think that's that's a really key point, whether we're talking SMS or email, is to keep it a, a, a personalized conversation whenever possible. Are there any other tips you have aside from sort of like just recognizing what they bought and what they might like? Are there any other tips for sort of personalization to make people feel like they're in a conversation sort of with a real person that, that you found beneficial? With email, I think it's it's a little bit more challenging to make an email feel so personal unless you're leveraging like data and having variance based on purchase behavior. So that's your best option there. For SMS, you can obviously make it feel more fun and engaging. We've started to even include pictures of like staff pics from our own home. So like you maybe you see a candle that's in my house that I'm recommending to a customer that has bought a previous candle within a location or a memory that this is a good next fit for them. I just had a, a, a thought enter my head. Does, you know, you're not on the acquisition side. You work very closely with acquisition. Is there a, a definable aspect of acquisition that is also beneficial to retention? Like, do you, do you consider retargeting customers part of retention? Or do you just sort of accept that as a residual benefit of also having an acquisition program? I would say we work really closely together and I try, they are obviously separate, but success across both channels is a success for the business. So we do retargeting on paid and I don't think that detracts from our channel and we're definitely in communication about audience, but generally speaking, we try and just meet the customer where they are and what channel they want to communicate on. So if they're converting on paid, then I'm happy for us to put paid dollars to retarget a customer. If that's obviously the most beneficial for the overall program health. Yeah, it's always hard to know with attribution uh, and email will always take that last click credit and rightfully so in a lot of cases. Yes, um, yes. We, we actually just launched with Northbeam, I was going to say. So that's been helping us be a little bit more um, intelligent in how we're attributing customer. But Yeah, obviously it's hard to know specifically outside of using tools like that who is actually contributing or capturing that conversion. 
Tax season is over, but that doesn't mean your e-commerce company shouldn't stay on top of things. It's a hassle trying to find a strategic tax advisor that can ensure you have the right financial data needed to make critical business decisions. Look no further. The veteran team at 1-800-ACCOUNTANT has your back. Boost your profitability with 1-800-ACCOUNTANT, America's largest virtual accounting firm. They have the on-demand accountants you need to formulate your year-round tax strategy. They offer an entire suite of professional services, including payroll and bookkeeping, to make sure that your I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Get started today by scheduling a free appointment at 1-800-ACCOUNTANT.COM DTC. Speak to an expert who will show you how to get the most out of your business year-round. That's 1-800-ACCOUNTANT.COM DTC to schedule an appointment now. You mentioned SMS, and I know it is just such a huge uh, component for all modern advertisers. Can you talk a little bit about the ways you're using SMS to uh, the greatest effect these days? So SMS is my favorite channel. Um, I often say SMS is the future of retention marketing. It's the future of marketing, I think. Uh, Everyone's on their phone, and it's an extremely personal channel. You have the opportunity to not just be a brand, but to be a brand that's in conversation with a customer right next to where they may be texting their sister or their mom. Like You are in a very personal space. So for starters, we definitely treat that with respect, but we are prioritizing SMS as a key channel in 2022 and looking at how can we give customers an exclusive experience to early access to products, early access to sales, exclusive offers across the board. But more than that, I think just making it feel personal and fun and not like always a sales channel. So We've done like on National Photo Day last year for Kayla, we just asked customers to send us a photo of them and their product. Or on Valentine's Day for Homesick, we asked customers what was their favorite rom-com to watch. So it's not always a sales and it's an opportunity to just have a conversation with your customers and not push them product. And that is ultimately gonna build your brand loyalty and engagement. And were those manual exchanges, like when you put out your, you ask for your, for Sleepless in Seattle or, or your favorite rom-com there? They um, were, yes. Nice. Who man, who personed those, uh, those conversations? Um, it's either our support team or um, we have someone we work with at PostScript, that's our SMS platform, and we have a rep that will be on standby to respond that obviously knows the brand voice and can respond to those customers. So it definitely is dependent on the message and um like what we want to get out of it, but someone is there. Once it goes out, we know, okay, it's going out at noon. So be available for like at least two hours solid to be very quick with your responses. Because if you text us a photo, we want to immediately be like, oh, that's so great. We love it. Hey, can we put this on social media? What's your Instagram? We're going to tag you. So it is manual, but ultimately it's worth the return. Yeah. Th- things that don't scale is something that comes up again and again on on the podcast. That That, that scales more than some strategies do. Um, but it is a way to provide that delight for customers and, and create those real connections. What does that look like in your mix? Is that something that happens occasionally? Is that sort of a couple times a year thing? Or is that sort of like a, is, is that sort of communication a steady stream in, in someone's SMS? I would say that's, if you're looking at per brand, it's occasionally, but we might do one per month per brand. So like maybe it's only like four a year for a brand. But if you look at across the whole scale of all the brands I'm overseeing, it's probably more closer to like once a month. We're trying to do something like that for some of our customers. You mentioned that automations are uh, underused in your, you're an automation overlord, it sounds like. Uh, does, that apl- does that apply to SMS as well? 
It does. It does. And you absolutely have to be even more specific on SMS and understanding of that relationship. We have them split based on like first buyer, second buyer, uh, across like browse, car, post-purchase, like speaking to where they are in that customer journey. I think some of them we even have like if they're a 3X or 4X buyer, just because how disheartening is it for you to love a brand and then get a message where you're like, oh, you clearly don't know who I am. You don't know me at all. I love that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So um, yeah, I always like to say automations are based on the customer journey and where they are with your brand and campaigns are based on your brand journey, like when you want to launch a product or have a sale. So focus on automations as a core opportunity for retention. And you could probably see some pretty exponential growth because it's, I think it's a less loved type of campaign. Which is crazy because entrepreneurs love things that they can create and then have them, you know, not have to do it all the time, which is the whole point of automations. Um, Are there any automations that you've, you know, you mentioned, obviously, and I love that idea of treating customers, you know, meeting them where they are, recognizing where they are with your brand uh, is such a smart move. Are there any other sort of common automations or, or automations that you consider common that you don't think enough entrepreneurs are using specific ones? Um, probably like a recapture. Like if someone signs up, goes through our welcome series, has been in our list for 30 days, there should be another flow that's different from the welcome series. That's different from what you put in your campaigns because clearly you're not converting them with that content. So hit them again with another version of a welcome series and perhaps a different offer because they haven't been incentivized. I don't, I don't see a lot of brands do that. I call it a prospect series, call it what you want, but it's a, these people are new, but they haven't bought and they're high value. So you're, you're losing your window. It's opening a new window essentially, right? With a new frame uh, that you can test within it. That's uh, I think that's a super good tip for everyone out there. And then just back up for the, for any beginners listening, like what are the other core automations that you have to have in place? Well, you have to have a welcome series, obviously. If I sign up for your list and I don't get a message, that's a problem. It should be immediate. Um, You have to have any type of cart, browse, add to cart. So any type of purchase behavior should have an automation associated post-purchase. So welcome you to the list, welcome you to your brand based on which purchase I'm at with your brand and then win back. I'd say those are the key ones. Like once someone's made a purchase, make sure they're coming back as a customer those are the key components, probably the ones people neglect would also be a re-engagement series. So if they're falling out of you know, open click behavior with your emails, that's a key opportunity to not make a purchase, but actually just make an engagement, like get them to site and that's a recaptured contact. That's a win. Are there any um, things that you rolled out across the brands in the portfolio that worked on one brand but didn't work on another? I would say for the most part, you can find a way to make it work. Um, Like a good example would be like a win back post-purchase upsell across all the brands. We do that, but like for gravity, it wasn't really working to be so close in timing to like a 30 to 40 day window because that's a much more expensive product. So we had to revisit and totally adjust the series, but we've made it work. I think it's still at the core the same principle, but it definitely doesn't look the same in execution. What's your threshold for uh, contact saturation? I think everyone has a different line as to sort of how many messages they're willing to send. It sounds like in your world, you have so many automations that you are able to deliver more segmented communications, which probably lets you get away with sending more communications. I'd be just curious on your philosophy of, uh, of touch points. 
My philosophy, I'd say, have automations. If they're in an automation, that's where they should be. Don't necessarily send them a campaign. The only time, so we have like exclusions based on where they are in an automation. And the only time they get a campaign is if we're like, this is Black Friday, they should definitely get this. Or this is our biggest product of the year. We're going to prioritize this over an automation. But nine times out of 10, you've honed those flows to do what they're supposed to do. So keep them in there because that's where they're supposed to be. And then outside of that, I would say for email, it depends on obviously your audience size, how segmented you are. Because even if we send three times a week, every customer, even within a six month engagement window, doesn't get that message. So I'd say we lean to be like two to three emails per week, three maximum, and then we'll scale back the next week and SMS one to two. Um, really try and be careful of who we're sending SMS to. And then that's even more targeted. That's even more segmented down based on customer journey and like how engaged they are when they've last bought. And then what's your stance on list hygiene? This is something we're always uh, going through as a, as a newsletter business. Are you, are you pretty, you know, as long as you're engaged, you're okay building a bigger list if some of them are unengaged or are you sort of ruthless about getting people off the list who aren't engaged? I am super ruthless. Um, I think it. it comes from the overlord coming I knew from it. the agency. I am, yes. <laughs> so in a previous life, I worked at an ESP, so at an email service provider um, running strategy. And I was like, we're, I work very closely with the deliverability team. So I understand if you're doing bad things, bad things can happen very quickly to your email program. And then going to the agency, you don't have full control. Customers are like, well, I want to send to the whole audience. And at the end of the day, you have to do that if you have to do it. So coming from that perspective, I just, I have a very clear understanding that you can only message people that are engaging with your brand and you're not actually going to make money from messaging people that don't want to hear from you. It's as simple as that. How ruthless are you? Like, is, are we talking a month? Are we talking two months? What, what does ruthless mean in, the, in, in your world? I mean, when I say engage, I want 30 days of they've made an order, they've been on site, they've opened, click well opens are dead for Apple. We split out Apple and non-Apple contacts in that sense, but if they're not an Apple privacy contact open, so 90 day window I think is generous and fair. We may bump it to like 120, so four months, maybe six months we'll expand out occasionally if we have you know, Mother's Day coming and we have a great new product, but those are rarities and we stick very closely to 90 days. And you make sure it is done. I like it. So I have another question. We, we talked about uh, zero party data. Everyone's talking about zero party data. What are the most impactful ways that you've sort of been able to use zero party data to drive retention? Understanding a customer is number one, I think, hands down. When we when I came on, I came on last February, there's a lot of customer data we didn't have. We knew... Um, homesick, they were buying gifts. We didn't know why they were buying gifts. We knew Kalo predominantly rings, but like a quarter of the business was dog products. But we didn't know if ring buyers also had dogs. So it just opens up a whole world of understanding your customer and how to target them, which we've talked about. And then I think second to that is product development. We've been in the works of, okay, actually our customers probably will like this product because they're buying for X, Y reason. And then further than that, content, like gravity. We just did our blanket quiz. And for the most part, everyone works from home. So I think we knew that about our customer. Everyone's working from home. But we're now talking more about like what content creation can we do that speaks to someone using this blanket in a work from home environment, maybe not just 
chilling or sleeping? Do they want a gravity blanket at their desk? Would that be compelling content? So I think across the board, it helps. You mentioned cross-selling as well. And I'm, I'm curious, like, as to how many people in your, how many customers in your portfolio have collected them all and have all four of your brands? Is that something you're, you know? Um, that's not something that I know. It's something we're interested in diving into. Um, we don't look at in terms of like across the brands, how many shared customers we have, but it's something that's top of mind with, with privacy and data rules. We just have to make sure we're recovered from that perspective. I'm going to be the first and I'll tell you about it up front. So, uh, <laughs> you don't need to worry about it. Are, but that leads me to the other question. Like, are there, are you experimenting with cross promoting, uh, within the brand groups? Like, especially once you know, someone has a dog, you know, some gravity blanket owner has a dog. Is, is there that opportunity to cross promote the brands? The most we've done to date, obviously giveaways. We've done several giveaways across. We just did our first all brand giveaway, which was actually really successful. Um, I want to say that was in February where it was like products from all of the brands and we sort of tied it into this cozy winter moment. And then we did also include like a push to Love Your Melon had their huge BOGO, which is like rival to Black Friday for them in March. So uh, we promoted that on some of our email channels to say like our friends at Love Your Melon are running a sale. And that was a nice bump. I don't obviously that didn't drive a ton of their percent of revenue, but it was like our first step into how does this look and could this be successful in the future? Do you have any uh, interesting SMS tests queued up in the next few months that you're really excited about for, for retention? So either SMS or email. If we talk email first, we're right now actually doing a lot of creative testing. And it's been interesting because I call it the Instagram look. It seems that customers want an email that looks like Instagram, where it's all in one screen, especially on mobile. They don't necessarily have to scroll. It's extremely visual, less copy. So we're we're testing further into that. But to say it was unexpected, our results, I think, wouldn't be out of the realm. Like I, I wasn't anticipating across the board these like shorter, really beautifully designed emails to every time beat the longer form email, which I think is what as brands we've historically leaned on. So um, that's been interesting. And across the board, that's another one where we've tested across the board and learnings are pretty similar across the brands there. That's in, I want to drill in on that. So it's just making it a little bit more concise, a little bit like less HTML-y even. Like it looks a little bit more plain text. Like what 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 makes it look more Instagram-y? No, it actually looks more like visual, like beautiful photography. It looks almost like an Instagram feed might catch your eye and really bold text and just a CTA. So it's it's more of eye-catching in one frame where you can see the product, maybe read one or two lines of text and go directly to site. Love it. So you, you mentioned SMS is the future, is the future of not only retention, it's the future of, of D2C, it's the future of marketing. Have you seen any technology? Have you seen some things that you're, you're are you, do you think into the future of like what SMS will, like how it will be different? How will it even become more part of our sort of like commerce lives? 
Well, I think first people are starting to test into and even unlock this one-to-one messaging. We use Live Recover across our brands in addition to PostScript, and that's like following up on abandoned carts. So if someone abandons their cart, leaves their phone number, there is an initial automated message. It's like, hey, Sophie, I saw you left this in your cart. Like, did you have questions or can I get you a discount? And it starts a conversation where they can ask product questions. Well, oh, I was I was not sure what weight I needed or oh, do you have any but in this color? So absolutely that like one-to-one customer communication that's potentially started with an automation. And then more than that, I know it's it's hard to unlock with the carrier rules, but some way to have a transaction all within the message. I think obviously carriers are like, no, you have to get in the site. You can't like Apple Pay. You can't, you know, use these tools we have available. But I would see that as some somehow someone can text me and say, we launched this new product. You like X, text us back one to use the card on file or to like pay us for this product. Let us know if you want to add on any of these upsells. So it's not going to happen within your phone, I think. We'll be able to do it on the metaverse, I think. Yeah. Pretty much, right? Um, okay, so the 50K question here. What if, if we were to give you $50,000, I think like, I think you have to select one brand at $50,000. Um, if you could tell me what brand you'd select and where you would put that funding to see the biggest uh, impact in in your retention. Well, I would, of course, scale it across my brands because I do everything for all of them. But if I had to pick... I was going to ask you what your favorite was, but I can't do you that. You can't anymore, do that so, to so me. So I won't do it. No. no. They all have a special place in my heart. But if I had to pick one with 50K, I feel like I would go with Gravity only because they have our... Like we have this like core skew of products. So I really want to, I'd spend a portion of that, maybe just doing more research into like where to expand into this like wellness recovery and just build out a product assortment. And um, probably also like some tools are a little bit expensive, like Wonder. Oh, it was BounceX. Is it Wonderkind now? I don't want to misquote them um that's a tool that is really interesting i believe like biosense uses them and it just follows the customer journey and it's super slick but um they have a high price tag so i'd probably tag that on very cool is there a favorite part of your tech stack that you currently have well Clavio, you can get pretty much anything you want done in there and i've just worked with that team for so long they were an agency partner so i do i do love Clavio. postscript is awesome but i would say Right now, I'm loving Enquire because of all of our customer surveys and all of the data it's giving me. And it's super easy to use with Klaviyo and with Shopify. So current trending number one is Enquire. Enquire, I'm not, that's a, so that's a zero-party data gathering uh, software? Yeah, it's right at the point of sale. And we do use um, Octane for like our other quizzes, but for just collecting, and we have an extremely high completion rate. So if someone places an order, just at the top of that order page, they get asked a question. So usually we ask three. It's like, why are you buying? Okay, based on that other follow-up question. And then we ask like a, a last, okay, one last thing. So it's different across the brands. I'd say the one commonality is we're asking them, who are they buying for themselves or someone else? And then if it's themselves within that, it's like, are you buying because you want to sleep better for gravity or uh, you want to reduce stress and anxiety? Like, why are you buying for yourself? And then who, like, what is this gifting moment for someone else? And the last question across the board, it's different. Um, Sometimes we ask questions to help other channels like wholesale or 
um, like product related questions. So that is probably the best way to gather data. I've not seen other surveys completed at quite that rate. That's a great tip there. And I'm curious, like obviously demographic data, uh, product history data, but when it comes to actually like product motivation, pain points, things like that, are you actually then building those zero party data points into flows later on? Yeah, so if it's coming from Enquire or even our Octane, all of that's tagged in Shopify. And then that's how we're building these like intelligent flows. We're looking at, okay, you have this Shopify tag. This is why you bought. Okay, you need to go down this funnel. So it's all pushed into Klaviyo. Um, so we can use that. And since it's Shopify tags, we could even access it in PostScript as well. Very cool. So I, I imagine uh, Win is sort of always on the hunt for great new opportunities. Are, do you know if you're active, if Win is actively looking to acquire new brands or if you're sort of happy with the four? Uh, we are always on the hunt, 100%. Uh, always looking to acquire. Um, I know our leadership team is, you know, always open to a conversation with a brand that feels like they're a good fit. And yeah, not we're not going to sit on our laurels with just four brands. Well, we like to use the podcast as a manifesting platform. I'm eventually going to get Ryan Reynolds on this podcast. You heard it here first. Uh, and so, Can I join if, that one? Yeah, you, you can jump on the Ryan Reynolds podcast. Um, but yeah, like, is there, if, if you're a brand out there interested in, in knowing more about Win Brands Group, you go to winbg.com. And I'll also link out to all the individual brands here because they're all excellent brands. Um, so if anyone's interested in acquiring any of those, and then if people want to connect with you about uh, customer experience, retention, um, SMS marketing, email, uh, how do you recommend they, they do that? They can email me. Just shoot me an email, sophie at winbg.com. Um, as an email person, I'm maybe not as prompt with responses as I should be. Um, ironically. ironically. You haven't built an automation for it yet, so yeah. it makes sense. Sorry, guys. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone that has questions or just wants to connect with the industry. Any final words on, on retention, email, SMS marketing for the audience? I would say my only final word is, trust me when I say SMS is where you need to be. If you don't have an SMS program now, you need to get one. Today is the day. It's not hard to set up. You just have to be understanding of your customer experience and how it integrates with email. But SMS is an incredible channel to unlock growth, especially as we're having like Obviously, we're all experiencing increasing prices across acquisition. So if you're not doing SMS, you hear it here first, start today, sign up, get a program going. And whether it's rising costs or just cutting through the noise, right? SMS still is, is a channel that really cuts through the noise better than almost any other. Um, and it may not always be like that if, if we, you know, de depending on how it goes, but for now it definitely is a massive opportunity. You've heard it here, D2C listeners. If you're not doing SMS, get with the times. It's time to do it. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. So this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at direct to consumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.